Father, thank you for your word, for the Bible, which is so rich in wisdom. And I pray that you'll help me to bring it out to, to the people here and that, that we would learn not only what it says, but how to follow it, how to obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so on Easter... In 1994, in the country of Rwanda, there was a woman named Immaculate Ile Bagiza. And uh, she and her family were gathered together, and her older brother, Damascene, begged them, said, we got to get out, go someplace safe. Because they were Tutsis, and the, the, the Hutus and the Tutsis were in conflict with one another. But her father decided that they were going to stay. Three days later, there was a plane with the Hutu president of Rwanda was shot down. And then all chaos broke loose. The Hutus started killing the Tutsis by the hundreds of thousands. So Immaculate and her family tried to scatter, tried to find some help. And uh, she and her younger brother ran to a Hutu pastor's home for safety. But her brother wasn't allowed to stay. He He had to leave. And she and seven other women were crammed into a little bathroom, one meter square, for three months. And she lost about 50 pounds during that time. When she finally got out, when it was finally safe for her to get out of that bathroom, she discovered all of her family had been murdered. But she made the decision to forgive them. Later on, she had a chance to meet one of the people who had killed her family and forgave him face to face. She wrote a book called Left to Tell, and this is what she said. I knew that my heart and mind would always be tempted to feel anger, to find blame and hate. But I resolved that when the negative feelings came upon me, I would not wait for them to grow or fester. I would always turn immediately to the source of all true power. I would turn to God and let his love and forgiveness protect and save me. This topic of forgiveness is so important on Jesus' heart. So he emphasized it. He wanted us to understand it. He wanted us to follow and obey it. And it's so critical, even though this is probably a passage that you've read many times. Maybe you've heard people preach on it before. But I think it's good for us to come back and visit it again. It's Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the ushers are here. They'll be passing them out to get them to you. The scriptures, passages that we're going to read are going to be in the PowerPoint. They'll be up on the screen, but you'll probably want to have a Bible as well so you can see the context because we're going to be referring to some passages that we won't actually be reading. So Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, so Peter was speaking with Jesus, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let me give a little bit of background here. First, Jesus talks about offenses or sins against someone. He refers to it as debt. We don't really see this teaching directly on forgiveness in in the Old Testament that much, but we do see uh, forgiveness of debt, monetary debt, in Deuteronomy 15, and maybe he was kind of alluding to that. We do see this analogy in the writing of Paul in Colossians 2.14, where our debt was paid on the cross. All our sins were paid for by Jesus. That was our debt was paid for on the cross. Peter probably would have thought seven times to forgive would be pretty generous. There was a teaching in circulation at the time that you should forgive someone three times. It sounds reasonable, right? If, if somebody offends you and you explain to them, hey, this is not right, don't do this again, and they do it again, you think maybe they didn't misunderstood the first time. Maybe they misunderstood a second time. But three times seems like a lot. So Peter thinks he's being generous, but Jesus says no. Not seven times, but 77 times, or whatever number of times, basically unlimited. The other thing that we see in the story is hyperbole. Kind of a rhetorical method really just means exaggeration. And Jesus uses exaggeration to tell the story. <clears throat> the, re- the reason he does that is that it makes a funny story, and if it's a funny story, it's easier for people to remember. 
But when we read that passage, we don't think it's funny because we don't get the humor because it's kind of the setting, the context is a little out of date. We don't have kings and lords and all those things anymore. We don't know what a hundred talents means. So I'm going to try to give this a little try of, of making it a modern story just to give the rest of the background. And it's going to be a silly story, so don't, <laughs> don't take it seriously. But we're going to set this in the Apple computer because everybody knows Apple computer. Everybody knows who Steve Jobs was. So Steve Jobs is at Apple computer. Mike, our friend Mike, works at Apple computer, and he's, he does a, accounting book work for them. He knows how, how much money's coming in, going out, that kind of thing. So Steve Jobs goes to Mike. He says, Mike, can you, um, can you check out this department? I know you haven't been working in that area recently, but we need to get all the books straightened out by the end of the year. Can you check it, make sure everything trues up? So Mike goes and he looks into it and he starts scratching his head. And he says, there's, there's a problem here. So he goes back to Steve Jobs and he says, you know, Steve, Steve Wozniak owes you $6 billion. And Steve, Steve Jobs is really upset. So he goes to Wozniak and he says, you owe me $6 billion. You better pay up right now. And he says, wait, I've got, I've got this 300 million right here. He says, not enough. Pay up what you owe. And so Wozniak says, wait, I've got an idea. I got a new startup. It's called Facebook. I think it's going to make it big. Just be patient. I'll pay you back everything. And Jobs is thinking, pathetic. But he says, okay, I'll let you go. You don't need to pay me. And Wozniak walks away, and he goes and finds Mike. He says, Mike, why did you turn me in? And by the way, you owe me $12,000, and you better pay up now, or your kids are never going to college. And Mike says, wait, wait, I'll pay you back. My wife, Jill, she's going to go work, and she'll get a job, and we'll pay you everything. He says, no way. We're not waiting. Your kids are working at McDonald's for, for your whole life. Okay, so it's a ridiculous story, but you get the idea what Jesus is saying in his story is that our obligation to God is so much more than what we could ever owe one another. When we consider God's holiness, that God is the perfect God, the creator of the world, the awesome God with thousands and thousands of angels bowed to worship him, Any sin, any offense against him is not acceptable and it has to be paid for. So our, our debt to God is enormous compared to the little bit that we may have offended one another. It's insignificant. And that's what Jesus wants to get across here. So why is this so important? This is so critical for Jesus that he keeps teaching on that subject. In the context, you see, just before this passage, Jesus talks about the sheep, the lost sheep. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and 
Go to look for the one that wandered off. And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Every sheep counts. So when we interact with each other, everybody counts. We can't write off a relationship and say, well, I just couldn't get along with that person, so I'm, I'm going to let it go. That's not how Jesus taught us to, to be in the body of Christ. Every, everyone counts. So he wants us to forgive and to let things go so that we can reconcile and continue the relationship because everyone counts. We have to have the same attitude towards one another, the same love that Jesus has toward us. Remember at the end of the parable, Jesus said, if you don't treat your brother, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, that's how God is going to treat you. He says basically the same thing in chapter 6. So when he's teaching us how to pray, he uses the same analogy about debt as our sins, our debts to God. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And when he explains about the prayer, this is the only place where he elaborates on the prayer, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I don't know of any place else in the scripture where Jesus makes his forgiveness conditional upon us doing something. It's that critical. It's that important that we love each other because if we don't love each other, it just proves that we didn't really trust the Lord. And finally, in chapter 5, he talks about the other situation. Now, instead of, I need to forgive someone for what they've done to me. I've done something wrong to someone else, and I need to go to them for forgiveness. And that's important, too, because we don't want to let somebody else suffer in sin of their unforgiveness against us. The relationships are so critical. So he says, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So our relationships with one another are more important than us worshiping God at a given moment. That's not that we don't want to worship God. It's that we need to put our priorities straight. And our relationships with each other are really, really, really important. So let me lay out this in the context, the overall context of the passage. Matthew arranges his material in a way that's very well organized. Things that are closely related to one another are grouped together. Context is one of the best ways that we can understand the scriptures. It's available to everybody. If you read a passage in scripture, you read what comes before it and what comes after it. 
You don't need a special commentary. You don't need somebody to explain it to you. You can read it yourself, and you can get that information out. It's one of the most powerful tools to understand the Bible. And in this case, there's what's known as a frame in the text, where Jesus says something at the beginning of Matthew 18, and then he comes back to the same topic again in the middle of chapter 19. And usually when you see a repetition like that, then what's in between is related to each other. Just imagine when they wrote out the Bible, when they wrote the scrolls, they didn't have paragraphs, they didn't even have punctuation, everything was sort of run together. So how would you follow along in the text? Ideas were set off with, with this kind of structure, for example, the framing. So he starts out, in the beginning of chapter 18, he says, The greatest in the kingdom of God is like a child, and woe to those who would lead them into sin. That naturally leads to this, what he described about the lost sheep, which we just read. Every sheep counts. But he comes back to this again. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like the little children. In chapter 19. So what's in between may be related. And I think it, it does tie together in a way because like a little child is, a little child is in that society had no power. They were completely dependent on their parents. They have to, to be humble. You have to be humble to enter into the kingdom of God. We have to be humble with one another. And if we, if we are, then our relationships will be stronger. So he continues with the brother who sins against you. Talks about how to reconcile and how to pray about reconciliation. Now, we'll read that passage in a bit. Then there was the parable of the unmerciful servant, and then he talks about divorce. He says, it's not right to divorce. But when you think about it, what is the relationship where we need to put into practice what he just taught the most? It's in marriage. It's the closest, most intimate relationship. It's the place where we're going to have the most offenses. It happens all the time. And so we need to be able to forgive one another in marriage and not break that relationship. Oops, back here. Remember last week, Nick's message, the title was The Surprising Joy of the Supporting Cast. See, we love to see Jesus exalted, but we don't need to see ourselves exalted. We're just a little bit player, and we're excited because Jesus is held in honor. If we have that kind of attitude, then when we go to one another, we deal with one another, we'll be willing to forgive because we don't think of ourselves better than the other person. Jesus has a model here for relationships. Basically, when he says you need to forgive one another, there's a certain level of commitment there. You're not going to let the relationship just go. 
And because of that, we can weather the difficulties in our relationships. Problems come. Difficulties come through our circumstances, things from outside. And conflicts come because we're imperfect. And we sin. So naturally, we've offended each other. We've done something wrong. But because Jesus said, forgive one another, we persevere through that conflict. We let the person go. We let release them, release them from that debt. And so as a result, there, there comes resolution to the crisis. The problems are solved eventually, and when that happens, it cements the relationship, makes it stronger. So when you've been through things together and you've forgiven each other, your relationship gets closer if you're following the way that Jesus told us to do, if you've really forgiven. On the other hand, you see sometimes the way that people approach relationships. They think, maybe it's not going to work out. We knew... um, a couple, when we first got married, there was a couple uh, international students from Germany. We were talking about marriage, and we told them, Minglan and I said, our marriage is for life. There's no such thing as divorce. It's not even going to enter into our, into our vocabulary. We don't talk about it. We won't do it. That's not an option. They said, how can you know? How can you know it's going to work out? That was the question they asked. And sure enough, the problems came. They had conflicts. But they didn't press through. They weren't willing to forgive. They didn't know if it was going to work out. So what happened? They didn't put enough effort in to reconcile. The problems remained, and within a year or two, they were divorced. And that validated their assumption. They assumed it might not work out, and sure enough, it didn't. So if we go in by faith, trusting the Lord, and we're willing to forgive regardless of what, how many times we've been offended, the Lord will hold that together. Forgiveness is really, really foundational for our, our walk in the Lord, and that's why I'm bringing this up. I, I know that this is a familiar passage. We've read it many times, but it's worth to be reminded. I found this quote from Jim Belcher when he was a pastor. He said, I once had a man call me and tell me he was leaving the church. I asked him to tell me why. He said he had a whole list of grievances, Really? I said, how far back do they go? At least three years, he said. Why did you not come to me when the first incident happened? Because I was doing the Christian thing, bearing it in love, he answered. But, I asked, how is that possible that you're bringing it up now? If you had borne it in love, it would be forgiven and not on your list. He didn't get what I was saying. It 
So when we interact with each other in the church, we need to have forgiveness. It's basic foundation. Now, there's a, there's a case where our relationships may kind of not, we may not spend as much time together over time. We, they ebb and flow. There's a natural thing that happens sometimes. You get called into a certain ministry, you're spending your time there, and the Lord is actually directing you in that way. But that's different from you're withdrawing from a relationship because you don't like the person. Because they did something that bothers you. And you don't want to bother to tell them how you feel or what, what you feel is causing you to pull away. And so you just kind of pick and choose carefully your relationships in the church. That's not what Jesus is telling us to do. So there's, there's you know, natural things. You move away. You, you have other things going on in your life, and you're spending less time. That's normal, as far as there's no hard feelings. But what happens if there's no forgiveness, or if you're not sure about forgiveness, if you don't have that security? You get fear. You get fear. In fact, um, thanks to... Uh, Kathy for giving me these props. These are uh, these are these. They're not real, but these are million-dollar bills that we were using to kind of facilitate us. Was we went out in, at Christmas on the park, and uh, Kathy was helpful to initiate this with us. And there's a question on the back. It says, "Will you go to heaven when you die?" Or I would ask people. What's going to happen to you at the end of this life? Most of the people that I talked to answered that question saying, I think I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not sure. I hope I'm going to go to heaven. And that's a sad thing if people aren't sure. Because we know that through Jesus... Our debt was paid on the cross. It's a done deal. He forgave us our sins. And he erased them. So it's not based on, oh, if I can do good enough, because that's what they were assuming. If I can do good enough, I can get to heaven. And if I don't do good enough, I'm not going to make it. I'll be sent to hell. And I'm not really sure which way it's going to go. But that's not what we believe. As Christians, we know that it depends on what Jesus already did and not what not on what we're going to do. And so we have security in our relationship. And because we're forgiven, we can interact with God at a very intimate level. We can pray, we can come into his presence, we can ask him for what we need. We can call out to him when we're in pain. That's the solid foundation that he wants us to have with one another. So we, when, when we interact with each other, we don't worry about, oh, maybe this person's going to reject me. And then when they, when they have a problem with us and they start throwing things at us, we say, let me see if I can deflect the blame to somewhere else. And a lot of times that's the way the world operates. It's not the way of the kingdom of God. If we have that 
solid foundation, then we can share openly with each other. We can be honest with each other because we know the relationship is not so shaky. Same thing in marriage is the same thing in the church. So when that happens, we become fruitful and we start seeing that the world recognizes our love for one another and then we start becoming effective in reaching out. There was a a time Brother Andrew was visiting in Israel. Palestinian imam had ordered the killing of eight Israelis in retaliation against because there were four Palestinians, Palestinians had been killed by Israelis. And Brother Andrew asked this imam, Who made you the executioner of the world? The imam answered, I'm not an executioner. I'm an instrument of God's justice. Brother Andrew said, What then becomes of forgiveness? He answered, That's only for those who deserve it. And that's not forgiveness. Rabbi Zacharias comments on that conversation. He says, If you deserve it, it's not really forgiveness. I I don't bring that example up to, to make people fearful because... All the Muslims I know are really nice people, very hospitable and love to have fun. So, you know, we should love our neighbors, especially if we have a chance to welcome refugees who have needs. We should be doing that. But what you do see from that is Jesus' teaching is unique. Nobody else, no other religion teaches forgiveness the way that Jesus does. I've heard somebody say, the threat of disowning the children and the family makes it closer. I don't know if you've ever heard people say that, but it's, it's crazy. It's, it's so, so contrary to what Jesus is teaching us, right? Because what does he t- tell us? No matter what happens, no matter what your child does, they come back to you and they want that relationship. You need to forgive them. <clears throat> And people who think this way, it's because they're thinking that their honor is more important than their relationship with their children. Their own honor. And that's not what Jesus teaches. The relationship with others, every sheep counts. It's most important. So we know we don't want people to say, hey, he owes me, so I'm not going to forgive. Then there's some, sometimes we have this feeling well, I don't feel it. I don't feel like I can forgive. And that's another excuse that we make that's not forgiveness because what Jesus commands us to do, we can do. He's already given us the Holy Spirit. He's empowered us. So whether you feel like it or not, you take the step in obedience and the Lord will eventually let your feelings catch up. Usually your feelings will catch up. But even if not, you do it by faith. Trust the Lord. He's got the right thing in mind for us. Now there's one other thing which is even worse is when somebody says, God owes me. You know, God doesn't owe anybody anything. You can't obligate him. You can't 
do enough good works to make him have to give you something. You can't even obligate him through prayer. He's the Lord. He does what he wants. Well, thank God he loves us too. So he doesn't throw us to the wolves, but he, he cares about us. But he doesn't owe us anything. There was a man named Charles Roberts. And his little girl died at childbirth. And it was a very tragic thing. It was hard for him. But the thing he did, which made it worse, instead of turning to God, who's the only one who could help him, he blamed God. He didn't want to forgive. Nine years later, he went into a schoolhouse with Amish girls, and he shot ten girls. Five of them died, and he killed himself. He was still holding that bitterness in his heart, and it got to the point where he, he wouldn't let go. But that's not the end of the story. This is really an incredible story of forgiveness. Because the Amish community responded in obedience to Jesus' commandment to forgive. And they not only forgave within their community or within the body of Christ, but they forgave this man. In the midst of their grief over the shocking loss, the Amish community did not cast blame. They didn't point fingers. They didn't hold a press conference with attorneys at their sides. Instead, they reached out with grace and compassion toward the killer's family. The afternoon of the shooting, an Amish grandfather of one of the girls who was killed expressed forgiveness toward the killer, Charles Roberts. That same day, Amish neighbors visited the Roberts family to comfort them in their sorrow and pain. And later that week, the Roberts family was invited to the funeral of one of the Amish girls who had been killed. The Amish mourners outnumbered the others at Charles Roberts' funeral. It's ironic that the killer was tormented for nine years by the premature death of his young daughter. He never forgave God for her death. Yet, after he cold-bloodedly shot ten innocent Amish schoolgirls, the Amish almost immediately forgave him and showed compassion toward his family. Remember God's holiness. He doesn't owe us. We owe him. But he let us go. He set us free. The last thing is the unforgiveness when it comes to constant offenses. You feel trapped. You feel you're stuck. You can't get out. You don't know what to do. When I was a a kid, maybe I've said this before, so forgive me if I'm repeating. But when I was a kid, I used to get beat up. And, um, you know, I never knew, I always knew I was going to face ridicule every day. But I never knew if, what they might come up with. For example, they... Some one time they came up behind me and they flipped the books out of my hand. I'm on the stairwell. They all f- went spiraling down the stairs. The paper's flying everywhere. 
and there's hundreds of kids pouring down the steps, trampling everything, and I'm trying to scramble to get everything, and the kids at the top of the steps laughing. And that was the kind of experience I went through, but as a kid, before I was a believer, before I had heard the gospel, I heard the gospel when I was 10. Before that, I had no clue what I was doing. I just was thinking about how I could get out of the problem, so I was asking my parents, well, should I treat other people as badly as they treat me to get back at them? Or should I just, you know, treat them nicely? Maybe then things will work better. But still, I was thinking about myself. Oh, I can maybe, if I treat them better, then maybe they'll treat me better and I'll, you know, things will smooth out. So I was trying to escape from the problem. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not forgiveness. Jesus is telling us we forgive, we let other people off not because we want to have better relationships so that they'll treat us better it's because Jesus forgave us it's because God forgave us I had a an employee in China and he was a manager and under him was an engineer who was pretty strong technically this person was probably better than he was in the, in the technical area. And that engineer in meetings in front of the other employees would ridicule him. Say, oh, you don't know anything. And, but he wouldn't do it when I was around. So I didn't know what was going on. Finally, the manager came to me and he says, I can't stand this engineer. He keeps mocking me in front of everybody else. So what are you going to do about it? I'm like... I don't know. So I went to my boss. I asked for advice. What should I do? He said, well, you've got to get the two of them together and have a three-way meeting. I said, okay, we'll do that. We got them together, talked to the engineer about what he's saying. Don't, don't say those things in front of him. It's, you know, he's feeling shamed. But in the end, the result was I realized I couldn't keep both of them because if, if the engineer didn't leave, the manager would quit. So, well, that's that, and in the end, that's what I had to move the engineer to another area in the company so that they wouldn't interact anymore. But that's not forgiveness. That's the way the world operates. It's not the way that we do in the church. And uh, just coming back to the thing about divorce, sometimes in marriage it can be painful. You feel like you're getting hammered, you're not respected, you're, you just feel like you want to escape. I've heard people say things like that. And it can be hard because day after day you're facing that same problem. And they'll say things like, the kids will be okay. That's not true. The kids won't be okay. It's like smoking. The sooner you quit smoking, the healthier you're going to be. If you have a relationship issue in marriage and you're separated, the sooner you get back together, the sooner you reconcile, the better off the kids are going to be. But how do you deal with these things that are ongoing? Jesus told us. And this is where Matthew 18.15 comes into play. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, 
take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So he tells us, go and talk to somebody. If it's an ongoing thing, you can't get off. I mean, there's a there's a definitely a place for just letting things go. Somebody does something that bothers you, but you can forget about it. Just let let it go. Forgive it. You don't need to discuss it. But there are times when it's just too much for you to bear. So you go to your brother and you talk about it. You say, this is what's bothering me. You keep doing this thing. But you've got to be prepared. Maybe you're going to be let down because they're sinners just like you are. Maybe they won't listen. So you go with others and you, you try to resolve it, get other people involved who can help you. That doesn't work either. And there's a time when that person will be treated as basically not. They'll be put outside the church. That's what Jesus is teaching. But he doesn't end it there. Because he goes on to say, Again, I say to you, if two of you on earth, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So, it seems to me that the passage is saying, Jesus is saying, we, he's with us when we pray for that person who's been put out of the church. And what, why would we pray for them? So they can be restored and brought back. And Jesus is there with us in that situation. It's, um, you know, I hear this passage, or this verse quoted in in the context of prayer in general, which probably it's applicable to that, but specifically it's in this context. Last is, how is it possible to do this? I mean, these are pretty tall orders for us to fill. And if we have to do this on our own, it's impossible. But, this is where the background from last week was good to prepare us. Remember that <clears throat> Nick said there's a joy in pulling back the curtain for Jesus. He's the star. We're the little bit player. But we're joyful just to reveal his greatness. And how is that possible? He said it's by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus teaches us. How can we love each other? How can we, we be one? How can we forgive? It's because Jesus is in us. So we're going to look at, just quickly here, John 17, as he's praying for us. This is how. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may be, become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. So it's all there in that passage. We can be one, but it's because Jesus is in us. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can obey, we can follow him, we can do what he says. And as we do so, he'll make us fruitful and the world will see that love and they'll, they'll be coming to Christ as well. So, Nick said, well, I need to talk about the new year. It's new year. What are we going to do? <laughs> so the best place to put that is after we talk about what Jesus says. First of all, Let's obey Jesus. I think that's a good thing to do, but it's a good thing to do all the time, not just in the new year. I don't know if you've seen that video online. There's a little video snippet from um, Francis Chan. It's posted all over the place. You probably have seen it. And Francis tells his, his daughter, he says, go clean your room. So he says, if he comes back the next day after he told her to clean her, her room and he sees the room still a mess, he says, well, why didn't you clean your room? And she says, I memorized what you said. <laughs> Not to make fun of those who were memorizing this morning. They did a really good job. That, that's, but that's not enough by itself, right? I memorized what you said. You told me clean my room. And I brought my friends over and we studied all about how to clean our room. But if you don't do what you're told, it's not of any value, right? So that's a good illustration. Let's go forward from here and let's obey Jesus. Let's listen to what he says. Specifically for us, let's commit to forgive one another. Let's start with that foundation. Let's lay that foundation among each other here. That we can be able to share intimately. We can love each other. We can talk openly to each other because we know that we have that secure foundation. So if, if you see that you're kind of pulling back in a relationship in the body of Christ... Make sure your heart is pure. And if you're pulling back because, hey, somebody said something I didn't like, then you need to check that because that's not with the right spirit. It's not with the attitude that Christ gave to us. So let's do that. And so in our relationships... Let's remember we can do everything through Christ who strengthens us. In our relationships, let's put that monumental effort into reconciliation, into loving each other, not holding anything against each other. If we do that, God will make us fruitful. But we need to rely on him to do it. Father, we're, we're thankful for your word. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified in this church.
We pray, Father, that you would exalt the name of Jesus and help us to obey you, to be humble, to bow before you, and to allow you to work in our hearts. I pray, Father, that your glory will be displayed to the world as we humble ourselves before one another. Be exalted, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. sing songs in adoration and love for you because you first loved us as you came after us Lord and you died for your enemies and we also know that if we say we love you but we don't love our brother we make you to be a liar and we don't yet know your love God, don't let us play into the devil's hand in this church. Don't let us think that there is redemption or salvation in putting others down and conquering in the way of the world, standing at the top of the hill in our relationships. Lord, let us see that true victory is getting low. True victory is taking up our crosses and following you. True victory, true salvation, true redemption is being free to forgive. You're making us human again. You're redeeming a new community here. God, would there be unity among us in the power of your Spirit? We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the outpouring of your spirit. We need you, Jesus. We're just, we're just branches tapped into the vine of your love, your grace, your mercy. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.